Matthew chapter 22, we're thinking together as a church how we want to be known in the community, what we want to be known by. Last week, we looked at Matthew chapter 22 and saw that the first thing, the most important thing that we want to be known by is, is people who love God. Today, we're going to consider the next thing. And I'm going to read beginning in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, and I'm going to read down to verse 40. We're going to focus most of, nearly all of our attention on verse 39, but I'm going to read it all for context. God's Word says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Lord, I'm keenly aware of my need here for you to come, Lord. We read your word. We don't merely want to learn. We want to be impacted by you. We want to we want to hear from you. And Lord, we know that the way you speak in the world today primarily is through your word. And Lord, one of the ways you speak through your word is through the preaching of your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me to be faithful despite my many limitations. Lord, I pray that you would get our attention this morning. Um, and I ask that you would awaken the sleepy. I pray that you would convert the unconverted and I pray that you would inspire us all. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I'll start with a question. What is the hardest thing, the hardest thing that you have ever done? I'm not talking about something that was done to you. I'm not talking about like getting sick and it was really hard to make it through that. What is something that you chose to do Something that was very difficult, the hardest thing that you consciously, willingly, with your eyes wide open, decided to do. What is it? I'll let you survey the catalog of experiences in your mind, all the choices that you have at your disposal. I'll give you a second to think about it. Got it? Okay, today we're going to talk about something harder, something more demanding. Something that at times threatens, may threaten to break your will. Something that will push you right up to the edge and over the precipice of reasonableness. The hardest thing, we saw it in the text, it's to love others. It's actually more than that. Jesus knows, he knows, he knows you and he knows me, and he says he knew that if he just said, love your neighbor without expressing any kind of standard, the love that we are to show other people would be and could be very small. But we're talking about the hardest thing. It's not just loving your neighbors. What does it say in verse 39? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Zing. How hard? That's the hardest thing. We are to love our neighbors as 
ourselves. Remember, a lawyer asks Jesus here to test him, what's the greatest commandment in the law? What's the most important thing? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And Jesus, Jesus doesn't just answer with one commandment. He gives two for the price of one and says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We're going to talk about why this is the hardest thing in just a moment. But we're called to love others like we love ourselves. So why is this the hardest thing? First, as a preliminary, we need to recognize that there are two kinds of neighbors in the world and only two kinds of neighbors, believers and unbelievers. Today, we're going to consider the call to love unbelievers. Next week, believers. Today, unbelievers. Now, why is this the hardest thing? You might say, well, loving the Lord with all my mind and soul and heart, that's harder. Because there hasn't been a moment in any time, or there hasn't been a moment of time in my whole life where I've loved God like that. That's a higher standard. That's more difficult. And I might say I agree, but even though none of us have been able to love God perfectly in every moment, the difference between God and our neighbor is that we want to love God. And sometimes, a lot of times, we don't want to love our neighbor. That's harder, right? God, to put it crassly, is lovable. Your neighbors, your unbelieving neighbors, those people in your life that are unbelievers, that sin all over the place, not so lovable, right? And so the desire to love God with everything we have, as believers in Jesus, we're going to have that. We're going to want to grow. We're going to, we're going to want to be people like that. But we're also called to love our neighbors. God, God's good always in every moment. Our neighbors, not so much. God, he upholds the universe by the very word of his power. Your neighbors might be busy tearing you down as we speak. God is constantly kind and generous. Neighbors, not so much. God is love. Your neighbors are not love. God has loved you, in fact, but from before the foundation of the world, your neighbor doesn't love you probably in this or any other world. With God, you're always on his mind. With your neighbor, he doesn't care. She doesn't care much about you at all probably. God is working all things for your good, and your neighbor probably isn't doing anything for you at all, really. So this is why it's the hardest thing. We might not love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, but we want to. We strive to. Our neighbors are much harder to love. God is perfect. Our neighbors, newsflash, are not. God deserves our love. Our neighbors don't, just to be real, right? But yet, here's the standard staring at us from the Scriptures, blinks at us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
Now, our neighbor is anyone. It's not just the people that live in the same apartment complex we do or the next door in our, on our street. Our neighbor is anyone that we come in contact with in the course of our lives. We're called to love those people as ourselves. Now, contrary to what televangelists say, this passage is not commanding us to love ourselves. It assumes that we already do. At the same time, this passage is not denying the very real possibility that there are people who do not have a healthy view of themselves. Rather, this passage speaks to the vast majority of humanity who requires no instruction, no encouragement, no inspiration, no motivation to love themselves. Nowhere in the Bible is there a command that we love ourselves. In fact, if you read Scripture, we read quite the opposite. Just a few chapters earlier, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That means die daily. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We are to love our neighbors. We are to love our unsaved, our unbelieving neighbors as we love ourselves. Now, this doesn't mean we should deny our legitimate needs individually. Rather, what Jesus is doing is using the universal standard of self-love that we all understand, that we all exercise, and says, use that measure to measure love to other people. That is hard. The hardest thing. Our neighbors, especially our unbelieving neighbors, they're probably, when, they, when we show love, they're probably not going to be grateful. They're not going to know what to say. They may not love us back. They don't care about us. They might not notice us. They might not notice the good things we do. They might not speak kindly to us. They probably won't even agree with us. But Jesus says, love these neighbors. Love all neighbors as you would love yourself. That is the hardest thing. So why should we do this hard thing? Why should we do this hardest thing? Well, let's look at verse 39. Now, ha, there's, we're going to come at this kind of, the answering the why question, we're going to come at it kind of through the side door. Look at verse 39 again. And the second is like it. Now, that's interesting because Jesus says the first and greatest command is that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then he says in verse 39, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is strange. How is loving our God like loving our neighbors? Now, your neighbors are not God. I think you probably already know that. So let's try to see if we can answer this question. Now, Jesus, he doesn't pull this direction out of nowhere. He doesn't say, hmm, let me just make up something on the spot. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What he does is he quotes from the Old Testament, and he quotes from everybody's favorite book from the Old Testament, Leviticus. In Leviticus, we have this whole section that Jesus summarizes. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9. And it's worth considering that section from 19 verse 9 all the way down to verse 18. We read in Leviticus 19, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap 
your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. Remember, they're all agrarian, they're farmers. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. See the reason? I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall not do injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. Why? I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. And then here's the quotation Jesus uses. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So we can see clearly that loving your neighbor as yourself here is a summary of a whole host of activities. Feed the poor, don't steal, don't oppress, don't lie, be, a fair, be fair in your hiring practices. But significantly throughout Leviticus 19, we see this repetition. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. And Jesus quotes as the Lord from that passage, love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because he is the Lord. And that is enough. It doesn't seem like much of an answer. Why should we do this hardest thing? Well, he commands us, and that's enough, right? Yes, Yes, but there's also another answer here in this passage as well, as well that we should think a couple of moments about. Remember, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when we love God most, we're going to love what he loves most, and we're going to love who he loves most. Who does God love most on this planet? Or what? Our neighbors. Our neighbors. Remember, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. So these two commandments are connected in a sense What's clear is love for our neighbors and love for our God are bound together. You, love your, you will love your neighbors best when you love God most. Augustine says, said famously, love God and do what you will, or do what you want is another way to say that. If you love God most of all, you're going to become more and more like him and begin to love what he loves most. And in your daily life, as you come in contact with your neighbors, you're not going to want to defraud them or lie or cheat or steal or be vengeful or be greedy because you love God. And because you love God and you know that this person who's made in the image of God, this person that is, a, that is, a, that is loved by God, you're not going to want to treat that person poorly because, why? You're growing in love for God and you recognize 
as one who grows in love for God, you are going to want to love other people, whether they're believers or not, as yourself, because you're growing in, you're growing in the likeness, you're glow, growing in godliness, you're growing in such a way so that you love what God loves. That's the idea. But it doesn't stop there. Like I said, like we said, like we noticed, the standard is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now this means more than just not doing bad things to your neighbor. It means doing positive good toward your neighbors. If this was a command just not to do bad things, I could come home to my wife and say, Listen, love, when I was at Home Depot, there was this guy who was really, really inappropriate to me. I wanted to get a two-by-four and crack him over the head. And I wanted to do it really badly, but I didn't. And she's not going to say, behold the love. <laughs> or, when I was out, I had the perfect parking spot that I waited five minutes for, and as I was sitting there waiting, I happened to glance to my left, and I looked up, and somebody else came in, and they took it. I wanted to key that car. And I wanted to write jerk on the side. But I didn't. Oh, what love. No one's going to say that. They're going to say, good. You're not charged with either battery or vandalism. That's not showing love. Or maybe if my boss tells me that he ha I have to stay late and she says she knows I have plans and I come home and I say, listen, I really wanted to curse, a, curse her a blue streak, but I didn't. My wife's not going to say, oh my goodness, what love. <laughs> no, loving our neighbors as ourselves is doing much more than not doing bad things to them. It's much more demanding. It's doing positive good. It's acting in love toward our neighbors that we would want them, in a way we would want them to act toward us. That's why this is the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing, but also because we're Christians and because we have experienced love from God that defies description, that is categorically different than any other kind of love that can be bestowed by anyone to anyone? It makes sense. God has loved us and He has forgiven us and we were worse to Him than any neighbor could be to us. John Newton put it really well and he puts a lot of things really well. He is or was the author of Amazing Grace, the famous song, the most famous hymn in English. In his own day, he wasn't known for that song. It didn't take off until the 1800s. But he was known in his day for letter writing. And if you ever come across a book of his letters, get it, read it, and let him pastor you. That's what I do. In one letter he wrote, he was talking to someone about what a Christian looks like. I read it this week, and it there's a little phrase that jumped out at, out at me I wanted to share. He's speaking, so it's in context. He says, here's what a Christian is. He is not easily offended. He is very easily reconciled. He indulges no anger. 
he harbors no resentment. He lives, here's the phrase, he lives upon forgiveness himself and is therefore ready to forgive if he has aught or anything against any. He lives upon forgiveness himself and is therefore ready to forgive. That also is a reason that we can be ready to love. We live upon love ourselves. Therefore, we can be ready to give love even to those that are undeserving. The reason that we are free to give love to all of our neighbors with a love, but let's be real, that they don't really deserve, it's because, let's be real again, we have received a love from God that we do not deserve. We're able to love our neighbors because God has loved us though we were rebels, though we were indifferent, though we were selfish, though we were sinners, though we were far from Him, God reached and grabbed us with both hands and forgave us our every sin. He continues to love us with unfailing, never faltering love despite our ongoing failures and faults. And when we love our neighbors as ourselves, we are sharing with them the love that we have received from God in Christ. This love is literally otherworldly. The kind of love, Christian, that we have received from God is a love that cannot be manufactured anywhere else. This love is otherworldly. God in love cursed and crushed His Son. And as we look at the cross, if we knew nothing else of what happened to Jesus and only saw the cross, we might be tempted to ask the question, how can God treat us better than His Son? He loves us. We can see for sure that Jesus didn't just love his neighbors as himself. He loved his neighbors better than himself. It may be the hardest thing to do, but there's nobody more equipped to do it than believers in Jesus because we've received such love from God. This is more than just being nice to other people. This is showing positive love. It's sharing with other people what we have received from God in Christ. The reason it's hard is because the standard is we're called to love our neighbors. And I don't see an exception here. There is no exception here. We're called to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. No break. No pause button. Love your neighbors as yourselves. Man. But we have love from God that is much better than any love we can lavish upon ourselves. 
So how are we to do this hardest thing? It's easy. It's easy to talk about it, but how are we to do this hardest thing? And in the brief moments that we have left, I'm going to just give a few couple different ideas. How are we to do this hardest thing? Now we could go off into think and talking together about how we serve other people, how we want, want other people to, to, you know, how we can bless other people, and we should. But I'm going to start differently. I'm going to start with our disposition. If we're going to love our neighbors as ourselves, we must start with compassion. Our disposition toward them must be compassion. Remember when Jesus saw the crowds that were thronging to him? They were coming to him not to hear the gospel. They were coming to him to get fed and be healed. They were coming to him to use him. Jesus didn't look at them and say, you guys, man. He saw all these people thronging to him to try to use him, and he's moved with compassion. Why? Because they were as sheep without a shepherd. In other words, they had no idea what they were doing. Spiritually speaking, that's the reality with everybody who's not a Christian. And the temptation is for us to get angry or put out or frustrated with people. But think about it. How can Christians act, how can non-Christians act like Christians? They don't. They're going to do things that are offensive. They're going to say things that are offensive. They're going to be offensive. And instead of pushing us to frustration, we're called to love them as we would love ourselves and move toward them in compassion. I want people to move. That's what I want. I want people to move to me in compassion and not severity. When I make a mistake, I don't appreciate the people who come up and say, I told you so. You should have listened to me. Or next time ask. Or whatever. I want people to come up and be compassionate and be kind. That's the way the Lord interacts with us. And that's the way we're called to interact with other people, even if they're unbelievers. Why? Because we're called as believers to love others as we love ourselves, even if they're unbelievers. John Newton again. Let's look at him. He's got a lot of really good things to say. Newton says, there's this picture which I think is helpful. Imagine a company of travelers fall into a pit. One of them gets a, pass, gets a passenger or a passerby to draw him out. Now, he should not be angry with the rest for falling in, nor because they are not out yet as he is. He did not pull himself out. Instead, therefore, of reproaching them, he should show them pity. A man truly illuminated will no more despise others than Bartimaeus, after his own eyes were open, would take a stick and beat every blind man he saw or he met. That's the idea, right? Imagine we fall in a pit. See, that, that's the reality of everybody's spiritual status before we're pulled out by the good news of the gospel. Our unbelieving 
friends and relatives and neighbors and co-workers are stuck in a pit that we have been mercifully pulled out from. We haven't, we didn't build a ladder, we didn't throw a rope over the edge, we didn't do a super jump out of the, out of the pit, we were pulled up. So how can we reproach, how can we be severe, how can we do these kinds of things to people who, who don't know any better? We were like them. Now, compassion will be hard, hard, hard for us to come by if we first start with what we think our rights are, our privileges are, what we think we deserve. What we start with, we must start with compassion and recognizing that we're called to love. We're called to love others as we love ourselves. And this is how, this, along with loving God with our hearts, soul, mind, this is how, as a church, we must be known, a people who both love God and others. We're going to love others best when we love God most, and we're going to be able to show them a kind of care and love and compassion that is different and otherworldly. So how do we do this hardest thing? by being compassionate. Another recommendation is by being cautious. Cautious. By cautious, I mean that we need to be careful about, about disagreeing in an unhelpful way with unbelievers. We have to recognize that our gospel is a stumbling block already. It's hard to accept already. Everything, everything about what we believe is difficult, right? Our message is this. You need to be born again. The first birth you experienced is no good. We got to start all over. You are broken. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. You are a sinner before a holy God. And there's only one way. There's only one way for you to experience salvation and hope and meaning and eternal life. And that's not through obedience. That's not through going to church. That's not through adhering to some kinds of traditions. That's through believing in Jesus Christ. The first that you're a sinner and that he is your only hope in life and in death. That is narrow. And that's going to make a lot of people say, that's not true. So if people stumble, may they stumble over our gospel and not our politics. Politics is dividing our nation, and we should all have political opinions. I encourage them. I, we all should have. Like, we can even be strident about them. But what we want to be known as a church is not they voted for this person or that person, but we want to be known as people who love our neighbors, have political opinions, but we must not make more of our political party than our love for Jesus and our love for our, our, our unbelieving neighbors. This is why we have to be very careful talking about secondary issues and debatable matters with unbelievers. Another caution I might give is the impulse to constantly express our disagreement over the lifestyles of unbelievers. It is likely that the people we interact with are living in unrepentant sexual sin. We do not. It is not our job to express our disagreement with their lifestyle every time we interact with them. By somehow we're, we're being faithful to the truth. We do not. That's not our job. 
If they ask, we answer. But we want to be a people who do not shirk from the truth, but they communicate truth in love. And you know what? The truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want, we want these people, no matter who they are, no matter what they're experiencing, we want them not to experience our disagreement primarily, but our love. Remember the passage in Luke chapter 7 when the town prostitute barged into a party, broke a flask of ointment over Jesus' feet, washed his feet with her hair, and wept. Jesus didn't say, listen, Mary, before you start, you need to know, I know, you've been with a bunch of men over the past number of weeks and months and years, and pretty much, well, we all know what you are. I just want you to know, I disagree with your lifestyle. No. She knew. She knew. Same can be true for us. There is a time and a place. At the end of the passage, Jesus says, go, your sins are forgiven. She was repentant. May, may the unbelievers we interact with feel our love, our compassion, and may we be cautious to talk about secondary issues. Lastly, may we be close to unbelievers. This is something, frankly, I have not done great at over the past number of years. It's one of the, one of the, one of the problems with being a pastor. The people you work with are saved, which isn't a problem, but you know what I mean. When it comes to, when it comes to sharing the gospel. But our testimony, where we work and wherever you are, we are called to be there for the gospel. I had a friend who got hired at a company. I'm not going to name the friend or the company, but he got there, and there was somebody who had worked there for years and years, and that person called themselves a Christian. And so when my friend gets there and starts talking about Jesus, they said, listen, don't talk about Jesus here because that guy says he's a Christian, and he's a horrible person. He's a jerk. The whole company was like, if he's a Christian, we don't want anything to do with that. What we're going for is the opposite. We have the opportunity for a different testimony. Something where we are interact. What, what we have the opportunity to do is be around people and share with them a supernatural kind of love. This kind of love that, break down, that breaks down all barriers. This kind of love that pushes through all kinds of questions. This kind of love that they're not able to explain. Now, as you interact with people, the temptation for Christians interacting with unbelievers is this. How, what if they ask a question I don't know the answer to? That, that's okay. You can get answers. What we want them to ask is, why would you love me like this? We want that to be the thing most confusing about our interactions with them. That's what we want people to know about us. They love Jesus and they love others. That's who we want to be. That's why. Because we're called by Jesus, each individually, love your neighbors as yourself. So may we be compassionate. May we be cautious. May we be close. 
And you know what? You already know what this looks like. Because if you're here and you follow Jesus, you know this love. Our call, our privilege, is now to give it. Come tonight, we're going to talk about, at our members meeting, one of some of the things we're going to try to do to do just that. It may be the hardest thing, but we're not alone in doing this hardest thing. The Lord himself is with us. And so may we go and love our neighbors as we love ourselves and see what the Lord does. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help our testimony be that we love you and that we love other people. And Lord, I just ask that you would help that to, Lord, not just so that we have a testimony in town, I mean a a reputation. What we want to do is we want to be a people who constantly share the love that we have been given with other people, whether they are Christians or not. I pray, Lord, that you would give us this gift to be able to see people brought into your kingdom. We recognize that you are doing a great thing in the world, something that we can't even understand. We don't understand all the contours, but we know you are about your purposes in the world and expanding your kingdom. We're just one small little church here in Gilbert, Arizona, but what we're praying for, Lord, is that you would help us to be a people who see the lost added to your kingdom. And I pray, Lord, that you would add lost people to your kingdom through our efforts and through our church, O God. There are better ways to do it, Lord. Angels could probably share this gospel better. You could write it in the sky. That'd probably be more impressive. But instead, you've chosen to call us to do this work. And Lord, I pray, I pray you would help us, Lord. Help us to be a people who love you and love you so much that we love our neighbors, even our unbelieving neighbors, as ourselves. We need help, Lord. It's not natural. It's not. It doesn't make sense to us, but I pray it would make even less sense to those around us, Lord. I pray that as we... I pray, Lord, as, even as we get together tonight and talk about some of the things we're going to try to do to reach our community, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see a harvest, Lord, and to see people brought in. And to see people pulled up of that, out, up out of that spiritual pit that they're in, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.